My sister Kelly is a, a very brave young woman in, in many respects. Um, however, there is one thing that she is intensely afraid of and, and has been since she was a child, snakes. And, and look, she isn't alone in this. The fear of snakes is one of the most common phobias. Um, I think I read somewhere that one in three adults are afraid of snakes. And even if we're not afraid, like even if we don't have the phobia of snakes, we still should have a caution around, uh, around them, around especially large venomous ones. Like, I'm not afraid of snakes, but the last thing I want to run into on a hike is a copperhead or a rattlesnake. In fact, many scientists will say this, um, if not fear, at least a weariness towards snakes is something we have evolved, uh, we have developed over time. Now, I mention all this because our all-too-common phobia around snakes, I would venture to say, can help us understand the gospel. In the beginning of our gospel, Jesus uses a somewhat obscure reference. He says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the desert, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. What is this, Mo this story about Moses lifting up a serpent in the desert? Well, it's a reference to Numbers 21. This is when Israel is wandering in the desert. God has freed them from slavery in Egypt, but they have not yet gone into the promised land. And it's a, it's a short passage. I'll, I'll read it quickly. We read that the people's patience was worn out by the journey, so they complained against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up from Egypt to die in the wilderness where there is no food or water? We are disgusted with this wretched food. So the Lord sent among the people seraph serpents, which bit the people so that many of the Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned in complaining against the Lord and you. Pray to the Lord to take the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a seraph and mount it on a pole. And everyone who has been bitten will look at it and recover. And I think the first thing that strikes many of us when we read that passage is we think, That sounds like overkill. I mean, yes, they're complaining against God. They shouldn't do that. And the food that they say they're disgusted with is the miraculous manna, the bread from heaven that God fed them with in the wilderness. So it's heavenly food they're complaining about. But even still, is that so severe an offense that it deserves venomous snakes being sent among them to bite them and kill many of them? I get that, I get that sentiment. But think of it this way. By unleashing venomous snakes, the Lord is teaching Israel and all of us and all people down through the ages, precisely how deadly and dangerous sin is, how destructive sin really is. You see, it's difficult for us to truly grasp just how deadly is sin, how, how deadly sin is to our soul. It's a lot easier for us to identify a threat to our physical life. And this is where the common phobia, or at least weariness, towards snakes come in. Because we can all recognize a venomous snake is something that poses a serious threat to our life. You know, even if we don't have that phobia, we have a weariness towards a large venomous snake because we know the danger it poses. And so God uses that to communicate a reality that we're not so good at detecting, a danger that we can't as easily see, the deadly poison of sin. Let's flesh this out a little bit more. So the, these seraph serpents represent sin. 
And the venom would be the deadly effect sin has on our life, on the life of our soul. Just as many among the Israelites were bitten and suffering the lethal effect from the serpent's poison, so all of humanity suffers from the poison of sin. It's in our blood, so to speak. It's passed down from one generation to another, all the way back to Adam and Eve. And just as the serpent's poison, if God had not intervened, would ultimately lead to physical death, so too is it with the contagion of sin, that if God had not intervened, it would have ended in eternal death. But in both cases, God did intervene and provide a remedy, right? He, to remedy the snake bite, God instructs Moses to build a bronze serpent mounted on a pole, and those who are bitten and look upon it will recover. But what people couldn't understand for centuries upon centuries was that this bronze serpent was a sign prefiguring, pointing towards a remedy God would provide to a much more deadly poison, the poison of sin. And the remedy would be his only begotten son lifted high upon the cross. Yet our gospel, it outlines a further problem. It says, and this is the verdict, that the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light. Even though we're sick with this poison of sin, we prefer the sin sometimes to the remedy that God offers us. Whether it's we're attached to sin, whether it's we just don't think sin is that big of a deal, or any number of other things, we can prefer darkness to light. Christ is the divine physician who by his cross and resurrection, he wins the remedy, so to speak. He, he wins the grace that forgives our sins and makes us his adopted sons and daughters of God. But we have to accept and cooperate with that grace. And like any doctor-patient relationship, we have to follow, we have to cooperate the treatment. We have to follow the doctor's orders. What does that mean? Well, first and foremost, it means we must believe. This is something Jesus hammers over and over again. In our gospel, even at the very beginning there, he says that the Son of Man must be lifted up so that all who believe might uh, receive eternal life. So we need faith. And as our second reading says, faith is a gift. It's a grace. It's something we receive at baptism. It's infused into our souls. But, you know, it's easy to read something like our gospel in, in isolation or to read our second reading in isolation from the rest of sacred scripture and uh, think that belief is all we need, but we would be wrong, right? Why? Well, because Jesus, throughout the Gospels, tells us there's other criteria for salvation than belief alone, okay? So in Matthew, towards the end of Matthew's Gospel, when Jesus speaks on the Last Judgment, um, what's the criterion that distinguishes the saved from those uh, from the from the damned it's the works of mercy i was naked and you clothed me i was hungry and you fed me in prison and you visited me or at the end of the sermon on the mount jesus says not everybody who says to me lord lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my father so there he's talking about the need to do the will of god and then in john 6 he's talking about the need for us to eat his flesh and drink his blood, to receive the Eucharist. And there's more we could go on with. Belief is important, very important. We must believe what Christ has revealed, all that God has revealed to be true in Scripture and tradition and the official teachings of the church. 
We can't be cafeteria Catholics picking and choose, choosing what we want to believe and what we don't, but belief in and of itself is not enough. You know, uh, towards the end of John's Gospel, after the resurrection, another criteria, if you will, for salvation that Christ gives is confession of sins. After he rises from the dead, he says to the apostles, he, well, first he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven them, and whose sins you retain are retained. He gives the power to forgive sins to the apostles who passed it on to their successors, the bishops, and bishops uh, pass that on to the priests that are their co-workers. And the apostles, bishops, priests, we aren't telepathic. So if we are going to forgive sins or retain them, we need to know what they are, so we need to confess them. You know, in confession, we encounter Christ, the divine physician, who wipes away those sins that have afflicted us, who wipes them out of our heart and soul. But confession is something that many are afraid of. Not as many as are afraid of snakes, but it's still not uncommon. Maybe we've had a bad experience. Maybe we just don't want to talk about some of the things we would have to confess. Maybe we can't quite put a finger on it. But if we, if we are afraid of confession, we need to keep in mind those words that Jesus said more than any other in the gospel, be not afraid. He did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Let us be not afraid, let us believe, and seek to cooperate with his grace, and let us confess our sins so that Christ, the divine physician, can heal our sin-sick soul.